Content warning. This episode of Will at Homestuck includes discussion of grief, mention of the police and police violence, and heavy spoilers for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Listener discretion is advised. Big thanks to Sylph of Breath, I Think You're Pretty Cool, John Washburn, and Danny the Spoonlord, our $10 and $20 a month patrons, for helping out the show. Our theme song, Sunbanger, is by at underscore tittle on Instagram. Enjoy the episode. I'll just have to speak this loud the whole time? Basically, yeah. Okie dokie. Sorry. It's it's a little shouty, and you're going to have to probably remind me to be shouty. But... Alright. Welcome to the shoutiest episode of Will at Homestuck. And I'm Peter B. Parker, a.k.a. Alpha Timeline Dirk Strider, and welcome to Will at Homestuck. Dirk? Alpha Timeline Dirk or Alpha Timeline Dave? Dirk. Because Peter is... Yeah? Peter is Alpha Dave. Yeah, alright, yeah. (laughs) That that one took a minute. That was a thinker of an intro. No, I really (laughs) thought that I really would have gone without with, like, Alpha Dave, but yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I have a specific other character diagnosis for Peter B. that we'll get to. It was just a a real thinker of an episode there. It took us a sec. So, this week, we... Fuck off. I wasn't insulting you. It's just, like, (laughs) usually our our intros flow better than that. We kind of no, got stopped just, up there in the middle. Genuinely stunned me. Yeah. It's a nice little piece of discussion we got. So this week, to no one's surprise at this point, we watched Into the Spider-Verse. Great film. Like, just tops. Really good movie. We both got to see it in theaters when <clears> it did come out. Mm-hmm. But uh, the best, the best headache $21 can buy, I gotta say. Visually <laughs> stunning and bad for my eyes. It was, I remember just being blown away, and then, like, a couple days later after I saw it, I saw a video of one of the um, music producers who, um, showing how they recorded the music onto a vinyl mm-hmm. record and then mixed it to, mixed it while watching the movie. That's incredible. It was, and... The, the artistry... Like, I, I don't want to be one of those, like, aut- like austere English movie critic radio people, but, like, it's a gorgeous fucking film. Like, the craft that went into this movie is it's on another level. Like, I have enough respect for movie tech people with, like, makeup departments and lighting departments and the people who do, like, the crunchy work of making movies enough, but, like, the people who made this movie are in a league of their own and i hope they got fucking bank for the work they did on this movie it was gorgeous i haven't looked it up but one can only hope yeah i'm i would be scared to to check to make sure that the people who made this movie were fairly compensated for their labor but like i mean the thing everybody talks about is like the comic style shading where there's like the the dot it's not dot matrix but it's uh I know what you mean. Yeah, Um, that dotted shading. 
style. That uh, fun fact, actually, the tessellated dot shading that's in the movie isn't actually how comics were shaded. Uh, if you look at old comics, they were actually in a grid, like dot paper in a, a notebook. So yeah, it's just a little. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's more dynamic, right? And it's not a big enough thing that most people are going to notice, so it's not really a flaw. It's just a little piece of trivia there. Yeah, this movie's really fun, and, like, every level you look at it on is just so pretty, and, like, you get more and more impressed with it as you learn about it, because you're like, oh, yeah, that was gorgeous to watch. Why don't more animated movies do this? And then you learn about the process of making the movie, and you go, oh, because it takes a level of like fidelity and skill and dedication to create this aesthetic that you really have to be laser focused to create. And it's just it's just gorgeous. Also it's got a got a pretty pretty <clears throat> tight plot. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't do anything too crazy that that's like that goes off the rails or is forgotten about. It yeah. flows pretty damn well. I've never seen a Spider-Man movie that makes Spider-Maning look as fun as this movie does. It, it like one of the moods I think that it creates is like almost like the same feeling of playing with toys and just getting like sucked into the fiction you create when you're playing with toys as a kid. And it like it knows it's doing that. There's the jokes about like Miles Morales as Peter Parker having, like, a spider truck and a spider plane and, like, all his, like, basically toys, right, that you'd find in, like, a dollar store, but they're in his lair. They're in his superhero hideout. And this movie creates that feeling where it's like, oh, fuck yeah. It also manages to juggle a pretty large amount of supervillains and allies without feeling crowded. Because mm-hmm. that's just that's historically a thing super our Spider-Man movies have been bad at is juggling a lot of villains. Directors keep thinking they can throw more villains at Spider-Man and have mm-hmm. it work out. But TBH, Spider-Verse having I think four four to six villains, let's say. I mean four. Depending on how you count, because, like, there's... Prowler, Kingpin, Doc Ock, uh, Green Goblin. There's also the... He's not Solomon Grundy, because that's a DC character. But Tombstone. Tombstone, thank you. Tombstone. There's... Scorpion. Scorpion. Who else is in the fight in Aunt May's house? There's somebody else, in there? Tombstone, Prowler, and Scorpion? I think it's just the... No, yeah, it is them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So seven villains. I think Spider-Verse handles its heroes and its villains in much the same way of creating, like, basically a tier list. Where you have main of each. You have Miles and you have Kingpin. And their stories are... Their actions have the most effect on the plot, right? And then right behind them you have Doc Ock and Peter B. Parker. And then you have the rogues gallery that kind of drops off after that. Um, and, of course, Prowler, who is part of Miles' emotional journey, right? But he doesn't necessarily have a journey of his own so much as he plays into Miles. Same with Jefferson Morales. Yeah, but he's not necessarily in the spider hero villain lineup. In yeah, the you know weird, ambiguous. Yeah, 6v6 showdown. Yeah. Yeah. But no, yeah, like this movie juggles characters really well. It 
it allows us to care about all of the heroes. Like, I don't know. I hope that Spider Noir is doing okay dealing with the grief over the death of his uncle Benjamin. I I hope he's doing all right. He's what what angsty decisions does he have to make? He clearly mm-hmm. feels no qualms about hurting Nazis because that's not like oh yeah, <clears throat> spider people don't necessarily deal in moral grays so much as just guilt and grief. Yeah, you know. I guess besides his uncle Benjamin. Yeah. Okay, so this movie follows Miles Morales' journey to become Spider-Man. Not the one and only Spider-Man, because anybody can wear the mask. It's communism, baby. So, <laughs> so Miles Morales is a kid from Brooklyn, right? Yeah, he's Brooklyn. And he's his dad's Harlem? a cop. It's just a Harlem? bummer. Hmm? Harlem? No, he's Brooklyn, I think. Okay. Because he... um. When he's uh, with Uncle Aaron in, like, in the subway, he yells Brooklyn. And I don't know why he would do that unless they were in Brooklyn. That is a good point. Yeah. I'm not from New York, so there might be some kind of weird New Yorky reason for him to do that, but I doubt it. I don't remember. I don't know. Um, but he, he gets bit by a genetically altered spider, which isn't mentioned in the movie, but it's a thing from the comics, and I would assume that it holds true in the lore of the film while graffitiing with his cool Uncle Aaron. Then, like, immediately that night, for unrelated reasons, he meets uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, in the middle of doing Spider-Man stuff. And Peter Parker's like, hey, you're like me. You're a Spider-Boy. I can teach you. I can be your Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then immediately dies. It wasn't for unrelated reasons. He went back down to where they were graffitiing and then kept going because he... Yes, that's right. You're right, because his powers show up at school the next day, and it freaks him out. So he goes back to investigate the spider, and yeah. then he hears noises and investigates it. And then he finds the yeah. underground bunker area where the kingpin has his, has his and Doc Ock's super collider. Yeah. And Kingpin is doing something with the Super Collider that we'll find out about later. And uh, he accidentally, through big monster Green Goblin's meddling, brings through five more spider people into the world from other dimensions. At about the same time, he kills this dimension's Peter Parker, which is oofa-doofa, dark, like, yeah, youch. Hell of a way to start off the film. And then basically we get Miles slowly learning how to be Spider-Man mm-hmm. and finding these other five Spider-People. <laughs> the one he's closest to is Peter B. Parker. Who is the closest analog to mainline Spider-Man, like, like identity-wise, I guess? Yeah. Like, he's just like a shittier version he's of Peter Parker. Dad bod Peter. Yeah. Uh, then <clears throat> Gwen Stacy as... Spider Woman. Uh, colloquially known as Spider Gwen, because it sounds nice. Yeah, but she's Spider Woman. Spider Woman. Spider Man Noir. Who is the best Spider Man? You cannot change my mind. He's voiced by Nicolas Cage. Mm hmm. Penny Parker, who is from the future, is anime mm-hmm. and has a spider robot that has yeah. a spider in it. And there's, I, I don't remember specifically how he contributed. And I wish I could say, but Penny Parker's first comic appearance was 
in a run of Spider-Man comics that Gerard Way worked on. So, yeah. I don't remember what capacity he worked on it in. I think writer, but I might be wrong. But I just think that's really fun and cool. Because I like MCR, and I think Gerard Way is pretty cool. Yeah. And then the last is Peter Porker, who is a uh, spider that was written by Radioactive Mm -hmm. Pig. Who is voiced by John Mulaney. Yeah. And is the reason that, like, there's hours of cut R-rated content that John Mulaney <laughs> from, from Spider-Verse. Yep. <clears throat> Fuck, that shit's so good. Oh, I wish. You release the R-rated cut of Spider-Verse. <laughs> release the Mulaney cut for people who like DC movie conspiracy theories run by QAnon racists. You'll love that one. Well, yeah, that little joke by me. Topical reference for our fan base, <laughs> QAnon enthusiasts—they're <laughs> all over this shit. If anyone in our Discord server, hey everybody, join our Discord server, knows about QAnon, I will be shocked and disappointed because I don't want to know about QAnon. I have like vague knowledge in the sense that I know that's already too much. Yeah, you already know more than you should. More like not as a fault of yours, but of the world generally. Like the world has failed you because you know about QAnon. Thanks. Fucking anyway, uh, Miles Morales, Peter B. Parker, and Gwen Stacy team up to investigate what's going on and how to get them back to their home dimensions. There's a MacGuffin that was broken, and they're gonna have to re-steal the information. Mm-hmm. OG dead Peter Parker. Uh, stole to make the original MacGuffin. In this mm-hmm. movie, they call it a goober. Yeah. But MacGuffin I mean, there's... is goober is... I feel... I mean, this movie's pretty genre-savvy. I feel like it would have been a step too far to call it a MacGuffin. Yeah. I feel like that would have tipped so... over into, like, audience hostility a little bit. And I'm glad they didn't, personally. Yeah, I mean, I... Yeah, I'm glad that they would. They didn't call it that, but I'm gonna call it that, because yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a MacGuffin. MacGuffin. Anyway, they team up to go steal this information back, and we get, and we meet the scientist that uh, Miles was watching a video about in mm-hmm. his physics class earlier today, which earlier that day, which was great. Because this movie, it has an unerring dedication to consistency. Like, it's so, like, just small tangent, like, it's so... Everything, it's like a, it's like a Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah, like, this, the world of this movie just fits together so completely, right? Oh, the, uh, so there's the Easter egg of number one of, uh, Liv Octavius talking in the science class on the video about alternate dimensions, right? Which sets us up neatly for the alternate spider people. But then in the bottom left corner of that video... Uh, her being credited is Dr. Elizabeth Octavius, Alchemex director. It tells you that she works for Alchemex. And if you notice that, then you know immediately when Peter B. Parker's like, yeah, we have to get to Alchemex, you know right away that she's going to be involved because she's the director. And if you don't notice it the first time, you will the second time because she's she's pretty obvious and it gives it a pretty decent amount of rewatchability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like... It doesn't ruin the movie if you can't spot it, right? It's not, you're not being made to put in work like a lot of movies think you have to, but it's like if you want to go back and find those things, you can, and it's like a fun puzzle, and I like that a lot. Uh, So we get the best reveal in the movie that uh, this version of Doc Ock in this universe is a really hot older lesbian, and she 
owns my heart. I will support her in all of her endeavors. Shout out to on twitter for like we run no our audience consists of minors we cannot suggest we cannot suggest this yes okay like listen i love this person's art too but our audience consists of minors we cannot recommend them a porn twitter that would be horribly irresponsible of us shout out to twitter for doing good art of her and aunt may mm-hmm. shout out to the internet for getting it yeah shout out to lesbians on the internet uh-huh. in general because we get <clears throat> we get a joke in this scene where mm-hmm. we get the setup to a joke in this scene where dr where dr octavius says oh my friends call me live my enemies yeah. call me doc Ock. Mm-hmm. and then later on in a really phenomenal scene Doc Ock breaks into Aunt May's house, and Aunt May sees her and goes, oh, great, it's Liv. And, mwah, chef's kiss. Oh my god. Good detail. Well, and here's the thing. Um, I may have, might have told you, Bucky, this in our off hours, but for those who don't know, that has a precedent in the comics. Because mainline 616 continuity, uh, Doc Ock and Aunt May have dated before multiple times. They have an ongoing romantic history. They got married at one point. I yeah, I did know that. Yeah. I was big into Spider Man was the first um uh, <clears throat> Marvel hero that I liked because mm-hmm. I liked that Spider Man was the first superhero that was allowed to mess up. Yeah, that's a lot of people, including me, agree with you there. Like I've seen a lot of people spill a lot of ink over like Spider-Man is just a kid, like, he's just a dude trying his best, and he's more capable in some ways than a lot of other people, but that doesn't give him more time in the day, that doesn't give him fewer bills to pay, that doesn't make him less responsible for the more mundane aspects of his life, and it just draws people into him that way, and I'm fully in that group of people. Really, that mean that makes Spider-Man noir, like, not... Not, like, the best ver- version of Spider-Man, but, like, one that really kind of gets what Spider-Man is because it's mm-hmm. kind of extra angsty. If you're gonna, yeah. If you're going to lean hard into that, mm-hmm. a noir story is a pretty good way to go. Yeah. And, like, all of the, all of the Spider-People have their own, like, genre. Like, each of these characters is from a different genre of movie, and so they come together... And when they're all together, it creates this, like, vibrant... It adds just dimension after dimension, like, depth to everything that happens in this movie, where you've got, like, in the middle of his Act 2 slump of a rom-com, Peter B. Parker. You've got coming-of-age story Miles Morales. You've got cool kid with an animal companion, Penny Parker. You've got noir story, Spider-Noir. And... You've got what Disney should be with John Mulaney's Peter Parker. And like And then like angsty teen uh Yeah, Gwen. Rocker. I don't know mm-hmm. how to I mean she's a she's one of those like American girl doll is the best way I can put it, of like cool young girl and all her cool young girl friends do cool shit for two hours. Yeah, I mean like it's it's the Batgirl run. It's mm-hmm. it's G-R-R-L power. Yeah, but, like, good. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, in a good way where she, where her personality isn't just girl. 
right? Like, here's a, a thing that I ha actually hadn't put together watching the movie, but now that I'm thinking back on it, you don't get a lot of heroines whose driving factor is guilt, who are, like, who fucked up at some point and are dealing with the responsibility of their own mistakes and are still heroes about it. Like, you don't... That's not a thing, thinking through it, that I can remember seeing a lot in movies. You know who it, who's who this related to though? Hmm. Oh, oh, you will get there. Oh, we have a whole episode to get through before we get to that. <laughs> but I think we're gonna disagree on um, on I that. I haven't made a decision yet, but you just you just offered up a contention. Did I? I yeah, you're right. I I was kind of implying. Yeah. I mean. No, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll yeah, get there. yeah. We'll navigate with the letter eight yeah. to that point. In Thanks. yeah, there, we're All not right. even gonna say the name till we get there. Now we can't. Yeah. All right. So they they go to Alchemax. They steal the information. Doc Ock is revealed. They they do an amazing escape scene. Gorgeous movie with the cedar and the snow. Yeah. And the fall leaves just um, visually stunning. And then. Then the Prowler reveal? Uh, we get... There's a little bit of before that where Miles goes back to Aaron's apartment because he's trying to confide in Aaron. He's like, oh my god, yeah. Peter B. Parker died. Or Peter Parker died. I'm a spider person, yada yada. But Aaron isn't there. Except he is. Did because he gets there right after Miles comes in through the window. Fully in Prowler costume. And, and then yeah. he takes off his helmet in a, mm -hmm. in a genuinely terrifying yeah. scene. Like this, uh, this movie handles its tension so well. Uh, like, like it's kind of it. The one, the one place that sort of felt like a plot hole to me, but like kind of wasn't, but was that like Prowler was looking straight ahead and Miles was like ducking down below him and he was invisible. But when Prowler looks out the window, he can see Invisible Miles' as heat signature. That's the mask. But he still had the mask. It's not. Oh. It turns on. During that shot where we see out of the mask's eyes, oh, it, it yeah, okay, we can see right, it no, go okay. from one to the other. Okay. JK. Yeah. Then, yeah, then he's invisible <clears throat> and... Again, this movie is, uh, like, fully consistent. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, but he... That, like, he runs there, right, he r gets away, he thinks from the Prowler, goes back to Aunt May's house where the other spider people are waiting, right. and he's like, oh my god, my uncle is involved in my origin story, and all the spider people are like, huh, that won't go wrong at all, and... <laughs> were you followed? He's like, I don't think so, and then the door is busted down. Well, it's the, it is such an amazing setup twist punchline moment where we hear the Prowler's theme once, right? And it's such a fucking iconic theme. We hear it once, and then it cuts out for, like, maybe a second total as the Prowler knocks politely on the door, and then he immediately bursts through the door again. Like, it it builds the tension, re relaxes a little, and then releases it in a, like, that's how you release tension. That's how you do that build. It was really good. It's reminiscent of the Winter Soldier's harsh electronic noises, except it's like an elephant trumpet. Yeah, it's like this. That. It's some kind of synth brass thing. It's very synthy for sure. It's almost like a siren. 
I don't know. It's really fucking cool, whatever it is. Yeah, and, um... Oh. We get an amazing fight where old lady writes, Aunt May can hold her own in a fight. Holy shit. Yes. Also, she wants people out of her house. They don't destroy mm -hmm. her house. They do destroy her house. They do destroy her house. They do, the but not for lack of trying on her part. Yeah. Uh, then Miles reveals himself to the Prowler when they're far enough away, and uh, Aaron can't bring himself to kill Miles, so mm -hmm. the Kingpin kills him. Yeah. And Kingpin's like, oh, you have emotions? You you care about people in your life? Unacceptable. Yeah, and then Miles uh, gets away with Prowler's with Prowler as he's dying, and mm -hmm. his father thinks, his father, the cop, thinks that Miles yeah. kills the Prowler. Mm -hmm. and w Without knowing it's Miles. Miles doesn't show him Miles. his face. He He's turned away for the first bit, and then as he turns, he turns invisible, so Jefferson never sees his face. All he knows is, like, he sees his brother's dead body where a spider person just was, and he already wasn't a big fan of spider people. Yeah. So they, they <sighs> Miles has, Miles is upset, um, and then they have to, they know that they still have to go to the final confrontation, because the, the, like, amount of time that the alternate dimension spider people can stay here is counting down as well mm -hmm. as, until Kingpin is gonna fire up the, the collider again. again, and it's gonna be worse this time, and, like, it's just gonna fuck up all of the reality or something. It's pretty vague. Yeah. So, as he's, like, as the spider people <clears throat> are trying to console him, Peter B. Parker traps him there and is like, look, you can't come with us. You're not you're not ready yet. Yeah. You're not a spider boy yet. Then we get some like encouraging words from Jefferson mm -hmm. while while Miles is tied and up. I really am getting tired of media one, generally, that tries to make me sympathize with cops. And two, I'm getting really fucking tired of movies that succeed in getting me to sympathize with cops. <laughs> It's like, I don't, I keep having to say, all right, this is a fantasy world where I guess this dude cares about yeah, what he's doing. Yeah, where a dude who has these values would also sign up to be a police officer. like, And that, that he would keep those values for the tenure of his police officer. Yeah, like, I, I don't know, I feel like you could have given Jefferson a lot of jobs and kept him as the same character and it would have had the same effect on the, on the film. I feel i mean i don't know if him being a cop is like accurate to the comics i haven't read a whole lot of them i actually have read like one issue and i don't remember it very it's, well but it's just like a trend in superhero movies mm -hmm. to have a cop character say hey look these are the same yeah like he's the, one of the good ones and they're always in new york it's always new york cops that they're doing this with sonic sonic the sonic movie did not have a new york cop that's fair sonic movie had like a sheriff which a little more debatable. Regardless, uh, <laughs> having a lot of cop talk on this show. So, uh, Miles gets some encouraging words from his father, which basically amount to, you can do a lot of cool shit and you have a lot of potential, but how you utilize that potential is up to you. And uh, Miles is like, yeah, you're right. It's time to be the hero of the film. And he finally learns to use his powers, which is great. I love that. I love that for him. Good apotheosis scene. Mm -hmm. Good, um... <clears throat> good father-son bonding. Good, a lot of good emotions. Good song. Good musical. Great fucking song. 
Holy shit. I mean, every song? Yeah. This whole soundtrack of this movie blows my mind. It's so good. Um, like, Sunflower is just it's a good song. Yeah. It's just a nice song, and I like it a lot. Then we, we get to the final showdown. We do a bunch of flying around and some cool, it's, cool graphics. Yeah. We send pretty much everybody home except for Peter, Peter B. Parker and Miles. Mm-hmm. So they get their surrogate father-son moment here. Yeah, then Peter B. Parker goes home and there's a showdown Mm -hmm. between Miles and the Kingpin. Boy, is there. Wowzers. Like, I wouldn't have thought a character shaped like the Kingpin is shaped in this movie would look as dynamic as he does, but they managed it somehow. Because he's blocky, right? He's this, like, he's a building of a man there like the scenes i remember about him most are where he just takes up the whole screen like it's his head poking out of a black background and the background is his suit like it's yeah and like that they made that look dynamic in an action scene and i like that's an achievement that's good design because he's just there's a lot of there's a lot of i don't know there's a lot of there's a there's a couple of, like, good, solid Kingpin looks, mm-hmm. and, like, Vincent D'Onofrio was one of them yeah. in Daredevil, mm-hmm. and... For all of the flaws of, of Daredevil, yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio is not one of them. Yeah. And, like, I definitely remember the iconic, like, white suit with mm-hmm. the white, uh, scarf yeah. thing going on. Like, but that, that's a good fucking Kingpin. Yeah, because it... I mean, it fits with the style of the movie of, like, there's people, and then there's the super people, whether that's villains or heroes, right? And it sets apart visually, like, there's people like Aunt May and Jefferson and Miles' mom, whose name I can't remember, and, like, Stan Lee. (laughs) And, like, there's New Yorkers. And then there's the people involved with all this fucking nonsense. And the design like differs between them so strongly even in subtle ways like with doc ock and her like wild hair with like stuff tied in and she's got it all like dreaded up and it's definitely like bits of it are dyed purple there's bits of it dyed she's probably got a couple beads on it in there and like tombstone he's just fucking gray like he gets maybe a line i think and here's the thing like we see I, this time around, I caught, like, they pulled up a file on Tombstone that showed him, like, with, with, like, light skin and black hair, and Mm. then you see him, but he's got the same shape head and the same Mm -hmm. shape hair, so whatever it is that happened to him, it's kind of implied that it was... Recent-ish? Or sudden, or Mm -hmm. something, yeah. But, like, basically, like, the designs of all these characters, like, differ in that way, and Kingpin is a really good example of that, because he's just not shaped with the same proportions as anyone else in this movie. It's kind of the same way in Kill the Kill, if you look at the original, uh, or if you look at the notes for how tall Gamagori is, it just says tallest in the room. Yeah, like how, I mean, when we do a Kill the Kill episode eventually, we'll talk about how fun that series is visually and how like the phrase on model must have been like written in big bold letters on the wall of the studio and then scratched out with a pair of scissors (laughs) like but yeah that's a whole other conversation but i don't know kingpin looks great 
this movie. And the final showdown is amazing. And the shoulder touch gets reincorporated. It makes me cry because that's an, a thing Uncle Aaron taught him how to do. Not Jefferson or one of the like good guys because he still knew that Jefferson had, or that Aaron had like good ideas and was still like worth listening to because like the last thing that aaron says to him or not the last thing but like one of the last things is i let you down and then Mm -hmm. he didn't at the end yeah like the the thing that ends up saving miles at the last minute is a thing aaron taught him and it's such a like jefferson says the line of like we all make choices and it kind of sets a i went down the right path aaron went down the wrong path kind of narrative but that's not at all how miles sees it he just has these two men in his lives who are both influences on him, you know? Yeah, and even though Jefferson's there watching, it's mm-hmm. Aaron who, like, yeah, he not necessarily saved him, but was gave him his sense of flair. He gave him his flair, his sense of style at the end. He gave him that little piece of agency that he was able to cultivate and grow, like and let it influence all the other people influencing his life, right? Jefferson gave him, like, financial stability and opportunities for education, like those kind of institutional opportunities. Uh, Peter B. Parker gave him the opportunity to learn how to be a spider person, which is like a metaphor for responsibility generally. But then Aaron gave him the opportunity to be himself. And that, that bring yourself into what you do branches out into all the other lessons he learns. Like, Aaron is as much a mentor figure for Miles as anyone else in this movie. Gee, Marvel, how come you let Miles have three dads? (laughs) Wouldn't even let Cap have one. (laughs) I was going to say Tony, but fuck Tony. Fuck Tony. So, okay. All right. um, Let's do class back thing. Yeah, there's there's not really much of the plot after that. There's, like, a teaser that they they might be able to travel back, I guess, and then there's, Mm -hmm. like, a fun bonus credits thing. Yeah, like, there's a little joke of the Spider-Man meme. Yeah. Okay, so classifying. Before, two things before I get started. Mm-hmm. One, a lot so one of the, the important ways that a lo- they were able to incorporate a lot of characters quickly was like mm-hmm. you said, they all had a different genre going on, which mm-hmm. meant they all had a, lot, had a lot of implied things going on with them. Yeah. So a lot of my classifying analysis is based mm-hmm. on like themes associated with the classes and aspects yeah more than they are on individual actions because Mm -hmm. not a lot of people make choices that other than like miles and yeah well i mean like the background spider people aren't super active agents in the plot right they're there for fun and flavoring around out the cast and everything and i love them but they're not necessarily characters so much as they're like there's not another word. I, I was like, I mean, they're characters. They're just not given arcs, I guess. Is yeah. a better way to put it. Yeah. Like, not everybody needs to have a fully fleshed out arc. No. Yeah. Like, some things aren't big enough works to give every single character a fully <laughs> fleshed out arc. And sometimes they're just there. And some things are and still don't. Yeah, I have problems with the original Homestuck comic. What's up? Wow. Okay. I, I have criticisms of the thing I like. Um, okay, and the second thing was, which characters are we going to classify? So I got a lot of folks in here, uh, but I think a, a solid four to start with are Miles. Or, let's see, hold on. Uh, 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 a solid five, sorry, uh, would be Miles, Gwen, Peter, Peter B, 
and Kingpin. And then we can do some of the others, because I, again, I got a lot of folks in here. Uh, the ones that I have uh, stuff actually, like a complete classic for Penny, Peter Porker, Spider Noir, Aaron. And then I didn't actually have a complete one for Doc Ock, but I might, I think that's a thing, a thing that I yeah. solid decision on. I have some stuff written for some background characters, but like for Aaron, for example, I didn't write a whole lot down on, which in retrospect I should have, because there's a lot there. But let's start with Miles. You want to go first or should I? You should go first. <clears throat> okay. You sure about that? Because I'm confident in mine. I'm not very confident in mine, but I kind of want to see if that swings, if what you say swings me either way. Okay. So I didn't take as lengthy of notes this time as I did for Winter Soldier, uh, which is a shame because I want to do that more. It helps me uh, piece together my thoughts more. But for Miles, I have point one, inherits an identity, a responsibility. Point two, at risk of succumbing to those identities, uh, to those identities pressed upon him. He has to accept his own identity through his own methods and personality in order to become a hero. Uh, wildly intelligent and capable, but held back by the roadblocks in the way of realizing that identity. So I think Miles is an heir of heart. Yeah, I have heir of breath or blood. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, heir for sure. Um, breath just because, or breath or blood because, like, for me, when I read it as, like, he struggles a lot with wanting to be able to make his own choices and to be free and literal restriction of freedom mm -hmm. because he, like, he he doesn't live at home five nights a week. Yeah. Um, four? Yeah, five nights a week. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't, and he didn't really have a, he, he doesn't really feel like he had a choice about attending the school, it seems, yeah. from the dialogue we I get. I mean, he's not given one. Yeah. He actively doesn't have one. Yeah. And there's definitely breath stuff in there. I oh, heavily and and the and his association with music mm -hmm. was was really what did it for me. It's like he's so heavily associated with music and plot agency, I mm -hmm. guess. I seeing him as an artist, I heavily considered him uh space for a minute there. Because he's he wants to create like that artistic sense of his is a through line for the movie like the visualization of him as a fully realized spider person is that he spray painted the design of his own suit like he did art and incorporated his artistry into every aspect of his life and so i i really considered space for him and also did consider blood because his relationships are central to this movie relationships like interpersonal stuff is very important to this movie but Miles' specific struggle isn't with necessarily the rules of those relationships, but how they reflect who he, or how he sees himself and who he is. And eventually what he needs to realize is that he can take influence from others. His identity can be influenced by others. But at the end of the day, the root of that tree and the trunk of that tree are him and they are his to decide. And he needs to figure out who he is. I have one quote written down for Miles, and it's, I made a promise, I'm going to keep it. And I think that does fit with that, because it's important to him that he do, does that. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a value that he already had, that, that mm -hmm. makes up his identity. Yeah. Is that he believes that he, that like the reason that he should continue to try to be a spider person is because he promised somebody he looked up to 
that he would do it, mm-hmm. and that was like the last thing that he promised this person before that yeah. he promised Peter Parker before he died. Yeah, for sure. I something I'm kind of realizing as we're talking about this is something a lot of heart players are involved with is iteration of of some kind, like iteration of identity in some way. So we have Dirk Splinters, obviously, right? But we also have Nepeda, who I think is a really interesting example of this because her like shipping chart, not all of those can happen together, right? There's an implied iteration of if X happens, Y can't also happen. And so there's iterations of identities and relationships that she deals with with her shipping, right? And so what Miles is struggling with is what iteration of himself will he become? What iteration of a spider person? What iteration of a Morales? Which iteration of each of these roles is he going to take on? And the answer is the one that fits him best. The one that he brings the most of himself into. And that's his ultimate apotheosis. That's what makes him a good spider person. Like, one of the little details is like, there's the line or the little piece of banter during the escape scene from Alchemex where Peter B is like, why aren't you swinging? And Miles is like, I run better than I swing. And then during the what's up danger segment, half of his movement through that scene is running. Yeah, like he, he does like run along the ground for a bit and he, he runs along. And he incorporates it into the movement of the swing. Like he runs better than he swings. So why not? take that piece of himself and incorporate it into this iteration of a spider person. So yeah, heart. Yeah, all right, yeah, you sold me. <clears throat> all right, I want to hit you with my Peter Parker and my Peter B. Parker at the same time, because this is the decision that mm-hmm. I made. Okay. Um, I think that they're both pages of hope, <clears throat> but I think each of them... I think Peter Parker is a far more realized Mm -hmm. page of hope. He realized the potential, but Peter B. hasn't, at least not yet. Yeah, he's he's getting there. We see that he, like, starts to, at least. He's, like, trying to Mm -hmm. figure out, like, his relationships a bit more. But I think... what I think what did it for me is that like part of Peter B. Parker's deal is that he's very pessimistic and he's very cynical and he's uh very he's not very cautious necessarily, but he's very blase. Mm-hmm. And it struck me as kind of like a like a I guess it struck me as like a doom thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this but that's not what this dude is about. He's just not in a good place right now. Mm-hmm. And I think I think hope fits a bit more for like what Spider, what OG Spider-Man is, mm-hmm. and Peter Bar- Peter Parker and Peter B. Parker are too close to kind of not be comparable to each other. Yeah, I okay. So my oh, expecting. Oh, and yeah, sorry. I think Paige because like they're they're both really good at getting people to do stuff for them, like even begrudgingly, and. Peter uh, uh, Peter B. Parker also has the same, like, he begrudgingly helps Miles. He's like, oh, I can't do it. And then it was uh, it was when Miles was trying to guilt him into it, and it worked. I'll, I'm going to contend Peter, I'm going to contend both of those, but Peter B. specifically I'll get to later, but I'll foreshadow now by saying I think Peter B. Doesn't get others to begrudgingly serve him. He begrudgingly serves others. And that's what I'll leave it there for now. Because I want to do 
Peter Parker and Kingpin at the same time, because I made them Lord and Muse. Okay. I had Peter Parker as a Muse of Breath, and Kingpin as a Lord of Blood. So Peter is the more concise argument that I have here, and I have some notes written, but basically, well, actually, no, I'll read them out loud because they sum things up pretty well. Uh, the ultimate quippy mobile hero, a synthesis of emotion and words for the sake of others, but his influence is singular, ending almost immediately, though the repercussions of that breath echo until the ending credits. So he has this one point, right, where he sends this single ripple through the rest of the story, right as he dies, right? He is the Spider-Man. He is the fully realized, he's quipping, he's joking, he's he's got his life together in all aspects, right? He is the fully realized hero. And what are heroes if not breath players? But more importantly, his death, the ending of his breath, is the single catalyst that drives the rest of the plot. Everything spirals out from his last words, from his breath, right? His single moment. Kingpin, in contrast, is ever-present. He's got people everywhere. Uh, there's a line from Peter Parker saying, don't show your face. Uh, he's got everyone in his pocket. Like, it, it's not really acted upon a whole lot, but the implication is he's everywhere. He's got his, his fingers in everybody's pies. And his motivations are specifically to bring back his loved ones, to recreate a relationship. And so he is dealing with, he is manipulating the, I mean, he, he tricks people. He's like, oh, Spider-Man and I were good friends at the memorial dinner thing, right? Like he's, he's making it happen by saying it. Yeah, he's, he's commanding the social space and he's kind of bending the rules to his own benefit. And the fact that his motivations are specifically so personal with a, like, he wants that relationship back. He wants his wife and kids back, and kid back. That is a blood bond, right? So, Muse yeah. of Breath, Lord of Blood. I, I also had Kingpin as a blood player. Mm -hmm. I had him as a prince of blood. That also makes sense, because he does a lot of the destruction of relationships. Yeah. I do like having a muse and a lord mm -hmm. in this story, though. I think it is, like... They fit really well in this context. It's a pivotal enough story with, like, a, a plot that's, like... Because the plot is so tightly wound and so well orchestrated, mm -hmm. it seems appropriate for masterclasses. Yeah, for people to be... For people of that big of a story effect to be present like there's we won't always go into a story that has master classes mm -hmm. like not all stories to be told have something yeah. that pivotal have a voldemort uh uh dumbledore relationship Sauron. or a mm -hmm. Who else is coming in mind? gandalf i guess would be the other one for the all for one yeah I, that actually i think hero Ake is our only other episode we've done that has master classes so far thus far yeah mm -hmm. i think we're we'll get more as we go but yeah um but yeah like i think this one is mm -hmm. that it has that level of gravity yeah well and i think peter parker specifically like i like him as a breath player because he is the I know there's a word for this, but he's the ultimate Spider-Man. Like, he is the 
platonic ideal of what a spider person is. He's quippy, he's mobile, he's moving around, he has good relationships with the people in his life. He's dealing, like, he might not be fully over it, he might be still going to therapy, but he has dealt with his Uncle Ben. He has dealt with his guilt and the responsibility that comes with his power, and he's on the top of his game, right? He's what every spider person is at their best. He is that fully realized potential. And, and that's it, why he cannot function in the plot. And that's why, like... The like from the second he's on screen, from the second he leaves, are the most important ten minutes of the movie, in terms of plot, in in terms of moving things forward, because he causes all of it. Whether or not he knows he does, he doesn't choose to put his head into the collider. That's Green Goblin that does that, right? But he he has one command of the plot. He commands the plot exactly once, and it ripples, and it is exactly where it needs to be, in order to create the story that we see on screen yeah yeah okay oh can i i don't know if there's gonna be another good time to do this can i give you my peter b too yeah i diagnose him with car cat he's a knight of blood he's he's just he's a dad he's grumpy he's a way better therapist than anyone wants him or expects him to be <laughs> like and he's forever on by himself of course and he's trying he so hard to be selfish and he can't at the end of the day, he's going to turn his chair around and be like, hey, Terezi, what's up, my dude? You're drinking some whack-ass soda, dude. I am here for you. Okay. Yeah. I I don't know which one I want to go with because I'm not... I don't know. I still, I still like... I just have... And, and I know this is, this is because you haven't read the epilogues mm -hmm. and, you're, and you're not going to. But like part of my like sad, beaten up jake imagery is going mm. into this, this that's fair diagnosis but uh yeah i can see the car cat argument i will argue for both of my peter classbacks here i like your peter parker one mm -hmm. more than your peter b parker one that's fair i i just fully see car cat in peter b like they are the same car cat just swears more like yeah yeah i'm for that um Okay, so the last one that we we're gonna do was Gwen. Talk, that we we're gonna talk a lot about was Gwen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you go first because I'm not super confident in mine. Okay, I, I have her as a witch of mind or void. I wasn't sh okay. sure. I think void, void makes a little bit more sense to me. I think I would, I would go with that one a bit more, just because like she's not she's sort of defined by her loneliness, but in a sense that like she kind of chose it and she's she's got that like she's got big roxy vibes but she mm -hmm. also like i have that in my notes too yeah, yeah big roxy vibes like the dark horse leader of the session yeah like, like i would also <laughs> ascribe that to her mm -hmm. like that sort of void coding but i think witch because wait yeah i have her as a witch um she doesn't have a familiar mm -hmm. but just like the she does she wants change to happen and she tries to make it happen where she can and mm -hmm. she forces herself to change in order to get the most uh the outcome she wants okay um hmm. she carves out pieces of herself to get the change she wants specifically that's you're putting a lot into what is seen of her on screen that i'm digging like that's not what I felt was implied from what I saw, but looking back, I can see where you're coming from. I'm 
hinging most of this on her, like, her, what we know of her emotional state mm-hmm. is that she says she purposefully cuts herself off from people. Yeah. And she's powerful and she she plays the drums. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't have much to do with, like, witches, because, like... I mean, if anything, it would give her more of a breath association because yeah. music, but... I mean, two, don't both, don't two of the witches we see play bass? That's not drums. Really? What? Does Fafri play the bass? I don't remember. I don't remember. Fafri has, like, bass music associated with her, but I don't think she plays the bass. This is not I, a thing I like the I remember. Like soundtrack. Okay, you're talking soundtrack terms, okay. So I had, I had Gwen as a rogue of doom. Okay. Uh, I had her as a rogue largely... For Roxy reasons. She has really a lot of Roxy energy. But there is a little bit more to it than that. Her punk energy combined with her cynicism and confidence combo make her a solid solix, And she works outside the law slash sneaks into places a lot. Probably the most competent at spider personing besides late, late game Miles or Alpha Peter. Showcasing a familiarity with the rules of being a spider person. Basically Roxy but with loneliness instead of self-loathing. So her kind of, I mean, in one case, she literally steals computer-based information, both from the heroes and the villains, and her, like, I mean, this is a through line of all spider people, so it doesn't necessarily fit her more than anyone else, but, like, doing vigilante stuff outside of the law and kind of going outside of the law for the sake of others and for the sake of helping other people and kind of being an outcast from society, which is a kind of an aesthetic thing given her whole punk ballerina thing. And the, I mean, side cut, she's gay. She's gay. And we'll get to that in the shipping because I think there's definitely an unreciprocated flush thing going on with her and Miles. But yeah. Yeah. So I had a ro- had her as a rogue of doom. She's very familiar with the systems and information at play. And at any given time, she knows at least as much about what's going on as Miles and Peter do. Like, she's in Alchemex, like, sneaking in at the same time Peter and Miles are, which means she figured it out on her own at about the same pace. Like, she's pretty good at spider-personing. Yeah? I wouldn't argue too hard for this class spec, but it's what I got. I mean, I I don't really have much against it. We just, like, we just looked at different aspects of what she was doing. Yeah. I mean, you you highlighted that specific, like, I'm forcing myself away from everybody to be more lonely so that I can help people out. Yeah, because, like, her journey, like, her journey in the movie involves, like, she finally says, like, not only does she, does she say she and Miles are friends at the end, but if we are to believe the way that that last little bit goes, she reaches out to Miles at mm-hmm. the end as well, meaning, like, she doesn't just make a friend, she is, like, trying to maintain that relationship. Yeah. I mean, if anything, that reads is very spacey to me. Yeah. At least in the sense of loneliness, but also, like, I mean, rogue of space, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Uh... Do we want to rapid fire anything? Because I have a couple. I, I, I have a few. Yeah. Um, let's do Doc Ock. Okay. I you go first. Thief of Mind. Okay. I had her as a Witch of Doom. Hmm. I feel honored. It. She just like. 
she just I just get witch vibes. Mm-hmm. Like I get Jade vibes when I look at her. Mm. I get I get Aradia vibes. Specifically because I wanna watch this whole flesh yeah, place book. And I for one cannot wait to watch. Like Yeah, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like it's menacing and sexy. I love that. You're a lesbian. Mm-hmm. No, but my one note for her is let's just lacerate her, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean she's she's pretty close to like first resi kid. Mm-hmm. Like she's pretty close Their to their like, love what, child, yeah. You would get out of that. No, but I think she's a thief specifically because like she's not necessarily gathering wealth in the same way a thief of light might. Um, which by the way, there's candidate number two for Riska. But she's got her hoard, the thing she's stealing for herself is information. She's gathering a stockpile of knowledge and information and technology for her own purposes. Like she's doing a doc oc with all that science she did, you know? And she just she's so she has that specific Therese, like, I am going to act as if I'm the coolest, most competent person in the room, even and especially when I'm super not. <laughs> like, yeah. See, I went for Doom for similar reasons because, like, she's got, like, she's got the, like, unflappable cool, even when you look kind of mm-hmm. doofy or, like, you aren't at an advantage thing, but also, like, specifically. She's trying to push the boundaries of what's possible, and she's succeeding at it. Because mm-hmm. it's her technology. She's that... trying to bend and break the scientific rules that are associated with doom. Yeah. The chain. Yeah. And she's incredibly powerful, and she's incredibly active. When she's on screen, she's a showstopper, and she moves stuff. And she is working with a more powerful or at least more relevant entity who is a source of some or all of her power in Kingpin. Yeah. Like, this is a thing, I I don't think I've said this outright before, but for me, the familiar is, like, if I'm going to diagnose a witch, she has to have a familiar. I will not do it if there's not a familiar present. And it's Kingpin. Like, that exchange Mm -hmm. where he's like, go back to my collider. And she's like, our Our collider. collider. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, he's funding her. He's giving her the resources to do this. And he he refuses to recognize that she's in power there. Oh my god, she's the Condess. That backs your thief thing. Well, here's and the, thing the Lord about, thing. And the witch thing, too, is the mm-hmm. thing about the ancestors is they have both going on. Yeah, she's like, got both going on. I put all that together, like, one of us has her as a thief, one of us has her as a witch, and her familiar is the Lord of the Session. Yeah. Like... That's a that's a condes. That's a condes. I diagnose you with. Or it, I guess we. I guess we give her both. I diagnose you with the ancestor class of. Is it? Are both. are we like, condes of, doom, condes of mind doom? I mean, personally, I think which just makes more sense. Like, I. I, I can see which. I'll, I'll. I'll. Yeah. She. She doesn't do a lot of the actual on screen stealing. I would buy Rogue for yeah. Gwen more than I would buy Thief for Okay, Leo. I'll concede Witch of Doom and also feel extremely honored. <laughs> okay. Um, Once again, proving that I'm my own type. So I, uh, just as a real quick one, because I did, I didn't so much class spec Noir as I gave him a very specific diagnosis. Uh-huh. I have Noir dash Diamond's Droog. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> 
Yeah! I, he's Diamond Strook. He, yeah. <laughs> like, I have the Prince of Night of Doom. Mm. Um, a lot of Doom. A lot of Doom in this one. Yeah, that's interesting. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of systems and, like, tightly wound gears ticking. Yeah. And, like, it's, I'm surprised <clears> I didn't <throat> give anybody time. Oh, actually, no, I did. I, did I gave, gave one person time. time. Um, do you want to... <laughs> you say it. I gave Prowler time. What class? Thief. Ooh, so close. I, I did Bard of Time. Interesting. Yeah. I, he... I mean, the destruction and steel classes are so close. They resemble, like, they have the potential to resemble each other. I think the biggest tell, if you, like, for my money, the biggest tell, if I'm not sure if a person is one or the other, is are they surrounded with a, with a lot of the thing they steal? So mm-hmm. Vriska is a thief of light, not a prince of light, because she isn't, just destroying other sources of light, she's surrounding herself with it, with fortune, with literal money, fortune, with information, and with relevance, right? And Aaron runs out of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of time. Yeah. Alright. I, I mean, because, like, he's got big Dave vibes. Like, he's got big Dave vibes. Oh, that's, oh my god, he's Alpha Dave. Yeah. He's very much... Like, I idolized you because you are the coolest person in the room. Or even just bro. I think bro is also a really good comparison. Like, you are the coolest person in my life. You're not my dad, but you are a guardian figure. You show me cool stuff. You are an influence on the things I'm interested in. And it turns out you make bad decisions. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God. And you're... You probably should not be responsible for a child. Yeah, like, it's better for Aaron, it is much better for Aaron and Miles' relationship that it is a I-will-come-visit-you relationship, as opposed to a live-in. Because if Miles lived with Aaron, his whole life would have gone very differently. Because I don't don't think Aaron would have been a great guardian. Like, he's a great friend and a great mentor, but, like, I don't know if he would have the wherewithal to cook three meals a day for this boy. I mean, all we know about him is... He, he, like, he very purposefully is, like, cool with his being able to t- leave his apartment for several days at a time. Yeah. Because that's what his profession is, mm-hmm. and that would be, I mean, that alone would have been yeah. a change in pace for Miles, yeah. Because even if, that's I not, mean. I mean, basically, all we know about him is he did not plan to structure, he did not plan to structure his life around having a child. He uh-huh. didn't choose to, he was comfortable with occasionally seeing a kid, and that yeah. means he made the choice at least by that point, to not have kids. And that's all that matters. Yeah, and I hope, listen, I hope before his untimely death that he was chill with that. I hope that was good for him as a person on Earth. Because I hope, I don't know, I think he deserved another shot. And I know he had to die because your uncle dies if if you are a spider person, like, they have to. But, like, I don't know, I hope he had a good one before he went out. I hope he had an, an all right time in the world. I mean, judging by the stories that he seemed to be alluding to when he was talking to Miles, I think he was good. Yeah, he's probably good. <laughs> he's probably doing pretty well for himself. Anyway, fucking. Okay, he, who who next? Let's. Um, this is not much of a lightning round. Okay, Peter Porker, Page of Rage. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we had the same one. Fuck! Holy shit! 
That's the first time since episode one we've gotten the same one. I think so, yeah. Fuck. All right. Hell yeah. Glad that one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that one's pretty obvious. Just okay. watch last part of this episode. I'm going to come back and say that he's the Vriska. It's going to happen again. I mean, I... He's not angsty enough. And Olaf was? I'm sorry. I mean, Olaf got a whole arc in Frozen 2. That you hadn't seen by that point, and I still convinced you. Olaf is, like, a little bit concerned with his mortality in the first movie. No, he, no, he's, he's completely unaware of his mor- Listen, I don't think he is, but I could convince you Peter Porker is the Vriska of this movie. I don't think he is, and unless someone challenges me, then I won't, but I could. We'll see, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> uh, Penny Parker. Heir of Light. Heir of Doom. Interesting. Uh... Uh, Jefferson. You know, I have his name written here. I've absolutely fuck all written for him. Me too. I just have Prince of Mind. I don't remember what brought me to that conclusion. I have literally nothing. Uh, pew, pew, pew. I think that's everyone I have written. I have spaces and aspect <clears throat> for Aunt May, but I couldn't give her a class. Yeah. Uh, let's... Okay, we couldn't agree on Peter B. So let's revisit that one more time real quick and nail that down before we move on. <clears throat> Um, I'm with you on Knight, mm -hmm. and I'm with you on his aspect being the bottom half. Okay, the, being the southern half. Yeah. Okay. Because, like, I... And I do like that you made it the inversion of the aspect that you gave Peter Parker. It, it tracks for Knight of Blood. Like, mm. I, I did... I did... I had kind of agreed with that. You know what? You could convince me that he's a breath player who is inverting to a blood player. I think if you wanted to make that argument, you could run that by me. The thing that's sticking with me is that he's not, we don't see him at his best at any point yeah. in this movie. This whole movie is his act two. Yeah. Like, we leave him right as he goes into act three of his movie. I think it makes the most sense to me that he would have the same aspect as Peter Parker, he mm -hmm. just hasn't fully realized it. But then yeah. he, like, I would, I would buy Night of Breath. And okay. He's just not doing so hot right now. Yeah. Okay. okay. We're diagnosing Peter B with depressed Sonic. Great. I mean, yes. <laughs> Are Spider-Man and Sonic not very similar? They're extremely similar. I think Spider-Man is more timeless, but that's just me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Part two. Shipping. So there's not a whole lot of dynamics we can explore without it getting real icky. Yeah, I mean, like, the biggest one is the aforementioned <clears throat> Liv May. Liv May, that is a pitch relationship for the ages. They were flush once, it got nasty, and then they couldn't stop. Yeah, like, I, I, I like pitch lesbians, mm -hmm. and I like media that allows that. Yeah, I like women to be able to hate each other, but with a lot of sexual tension. And, like... In some respects, I think it's a reclamation of, like, the mm -hmm. way some dynamics are presented, oh, but also yeah. it's just fun. I mean, like, it's half the reason I ship Hermione with Luna in Harry Potter, is because Hermione is such an insufferable bitch to Luna, and I think that if Luna just stood up for herself a little bit, it would be great for both of them, and for me. It's... Helen Parr and the the lady from Incredibles 2. Like, it's every single... I haven't seen Incredibles 2, but I've heard that's a 
there's a lot there. It's right there. Yeah. It's a, it's listen, it's not a good movie, mm-hmm. but it gives you that, and that's yeah. part of it. Yeah. I guess. Um. Anyways, Miles and Gwen. I mean, she very clearly doesn't like she makes mm-hmm. excuses several times she does the like listen i'm older than you listen i'm not uh-huh. like we're friends like she's very clearly brushing him off and is not comfortable with mm-hmm. be with the fact that he's pretty obviously into yeah. her and in fairness at least by the end he's cool with that yeah where he's like i mean he's got like a puppy crush mm-hmm. and she's He'll not move on. into it yeah like He'll move on. There's, there's a fucking, there's that scene in the first, like, ten minutes of the movie that I love, and it makes me a little bit sad, where the person with pink hair is like, we miss you, Miles, and he's like, ah, you know, mi-. hold on. <laughs> and he, like, he has that realization, like, they miss, miss me? me? Yeah, and he, yeah. like, pulls at his collar like a fucking, like... He's a teenage boy. He's a teenage boy. He likes I, girls. He likes every girl he meets. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he meets Doc Ock, and it awakens something in him, and he's not gonna explore that for years, but it's there. The seed has been planted. Like, he's, I don't know, he has this puppy crush on Gwen. I think he's flush for her right now, and I think she's pale for him. She is all in on, like, yeah, I like this kid. I like talking to him. I'd be okay with, like, bonding with him emotionally. And Peter's like, oh, that's romance? Oh, that's... Mary? Marriage? You're gonna be my girlfriend about this? And she's like, no. Calm down. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, very, like, I would <clears throat> like you to improve. Like, you're my, like, slaps you on the back, younger brother sort of shit. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sibling dynamic for them would be so good. Yeah. Oh, I've just spawned a million, like... <laughs> Oh my god. Like, imagine fucking... Here's here's a great, just small fanfic idea for Spider any... Spider-Fam. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spider-Fam, well, obviously. Aaron adopts Gwen. Gwen gets stuck, and it's for plot... Well, no, part... it's... it's The setup is Miles lives with his mom and dad, right? Oh, Aaron. One day, he goes to Aaron's apartment, and there's a girl there. And she's like, hey. And he's like, hey. And she's like, it's a long story. Ask your Uncle Aaron. And he does. And Aaron's like, oh, yeah, I'm adopting. <laughs> and then they become, like, adoptive cousins. And they just become bros. And they they bond. I don't know. I think that's a really cool... Yes. I like sibling Miles Gwen. That's very good. Okay. What? You, you alluded to some <laughs> dynamic that was, like, sort of present... Earlier, what, what 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 was it? Oh, um, I think I just brought up this of the like Miles having an unreciprocated flush thing for Gwen. Oh, all right. Yeah, because um, there's not a lot of other like there's not a lot of other character pairs that have any particular tension, which I mean makes this segment a whole lot shorter, but it's also very refreshing. Yeah, like, like there's it, just not. They don't devote very much time to it. Everything is familial. Like, yeah. there's the... I don't I don't even know who made this joke first. It's so many layers removed at this point. But there's the joke of, like, Miles didn't need a father figure from Peter B. Peter B needed a son figure from Miles. And, like, yeah. that. that's, like, that's <laughs> the central, like... It's a beautiful inversion of the mentor-mentee coming-of-age story where it's like, no, listen, I need you to help me to do the plot stuff, but you need to get your shit together, my friend. Yeah, like, 
Peter B. Parker really needed to feel confidence again, mm-hmm. and teaching somebody about being being Spider-Man was the way he felt confidence again. Getting over your problems by helping someone else get over theirs. I've done that. Yeah. That's a real-life experience I've had. Like, I'm with you, Peter. <clears throat> okay, next section. Next section. It's time. After a tight 118 recording session to diagnose of Riska. Okay. Okay. I mean, like, okay, so, so, like, I have three, three people listed here. Okay. I, have, I, I could not. I don't have anything. I have Gwen Liver Kingpin. I, it's really interesting because it is a combination, like, our main, as we've been doing more and more episodes, our main thing for Avriska has boiled down to desire for the spotlight. Desire to be the most important person in the room right? However that manifests for an individual character. There are all sorts of other minor things. Uh, As we do more and more media, we will very likely find more and more Vriskas who are women. Uh, There's, like, stuff with your eye. There's stuff with arms. There's mommy issues as a character trait. Like, there's other minor stuff that we do, but the main one is you want people to pay attention to you. That's what makes you a Vriska. You want people to pay attention to you, and you want people to pay attention to you and tell you that you're doing the right thing. Well, not even that. I mean, like, Vriska by the end is like, I don't give a shit if people think I'm the hero. I'm going to be in anyway. And, I mean, in my opinion, that's one of her biggest character flaws is that she disregards other people's opinions to the degree that she ends up being kind of horrible to them, but it's a whole other thing. But... In this movie, there are a lot of people who want things very strongly, but none of them want, none of them explicitly want to be paid attention to. Like, Kingpin isn't looking for fame, he's looking for his family. He's looking for people who he lost. Gwen isn't looking for fame, she's looking to reconnect with other people. Peter B. isn't looking for fame or fortune or whatever, he's looking to get back up on his feet. Like, None of these characters specifically desire anything resembling fortune or relevancy. The closest we get to ego, I guess, is again Liv saying, like, oh, it's our collider. She's like, no, yeah. you can't, don't exclude me mm-hmm. from ownership of this thing because yeah. it's like the pinnacle of my creation or whatever. Well, I, even then, like, we're not given a whole lot of motivation behind that, but you could read it as I'm the one who, like, nailed the hammers into this thing and wired the goddamn machine you just paid money like it could be any number of motivations basically from her saying that they don't necessarily need to be motivated or she doesn't necessarily need to be voted need to be motivated by vriska e things right like the only like most of what she's got going for her is homoerotic tension with another woman on mm-hmm. screen and which is all she really wants i feel like yeah and like Certainly, all I want. When she's on screen, or like when when she gets reveals, they're pretty fucking show stopping reveals. Yeah, and that's why Witch is so good for her. Like, yeah, like she doesn't always need to be showing off her power, but when she does, like everybody at present knows she's here. She grows physically. Like that's kind of the genius. I mean, it's a fun nod to modern like robotics technology that her limbs are these like inflatable soft machines but on the other hand it also creates this amazing visual where 
when she is revealed, she grows. Like, as the limbs inflate, she physically gets bigger. Her, her posture changes. Like, what we think is her having really bad posture is the pack. It's the limbs on her back folded into her thing. Like, her whole everything changes, and she becomes, like, monstrous. It's really amazing, and it's, yeah. She also looks and acts a lot like one of my political science professors. Like <laughs> she would write down to the bike and like the zaniness, except I don't think that my professor is secretly evil. Like she's she's just a chill woman. Yeah, that's a lot about she's the she's an honors lit teacher. Yeah, <laughs> like she's I like she taught me Shakespeare in eighth grade. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. She's got that, but like she's definite i mean she was teaching videos that people were watching at high school like she has a she posts videos to khan academy yeah oh like my that. god oh my god you're right fuck Did i haven't thought about con- i haven't like i i've never particularly used khan academy but it was always present because i knew some honors kids in high school like i used it to get through calculus my freshman year mm. college oh, i'm glad it was useful for you but like I got a B, which was like the first time I got a B in a class ever. Yeah. So that sucked for me. Um so with a lack of a clear Vriska, I think what we could do here is something that we should do for the podcast more generally is kind of expand this character analysis section. Because it is always fun to find a Vriska. That's what we made the joke for in the first episode and then locked ourselves into this format. But but also like like I said earlier, like Peter B is Carcat. And I would just like uh Liv's got more Jade or Terezi vibes. Like mm-hmm. like you also said Legislacerator. Yeah. But she does also have that going on. Mm-hmm. Uh Gwen does have Roxy vibes. Yeah, like using the characters in Homestuck kind of as archetypes. Because if we're using it as our source material, then we can derive character archetypes from it. And so like I think the fact that Gwen gives off Roxy vibes can tell us a lot about her. And it might be able to give us more insight into Roxy. Or, and I will argue this until the day I, di- the day I die, Peter B is Carcat. He's fucking Carcat. You, like, have you seen, have you read Carcat? And then have you seen the movie Spider-Verse? <laughs> See how those two characters are the same? I can't believe Peter B has little nubbin horns. <laughs> I can't believe Carcat dad bod is canon. <laughs> Pudgy Carcat has never been anything other than, You're like, right. canon. I mean, like, yeah. He has to be pudgy. Look at him. Round. That's all I got. Yeah, round. <laughs> <laughs> like. I've still got that, like, Carcat uppies mm-hmm. edit. Me too. Yeah. Was that JoJo who no, made that? It was, was that Funk? Was it Witch of Time? Was it Tomato Grader Hulknaps? I don't remember. I don't it remember. was something on Twitter. Whoever made that, if y'all, if the audience, if you know who did that, tag us in our Discord. Hey, everybody, join our Discord. And we we'll... already did that this episode. We've done it twice in an episode before. Okay. I just do it whenever I bring up the Discord. Hey, everybody, join our Discord. So, <laughs> <clears throat> but like, back to Peter B, actually, and this is something that I'll definitely bring up in future episodes, but I want to talk about for a sec, is Carcat is kind of, like, you wouldn't generally call Homestuck characters typical in terms of character writing, like, they have arcs in the sense that they grapple with a personal or larger plot-related issue and come to some kind of conclusion from that conflict. But, like, I don't know. Mina's arc isn't really character-related. 
it, it has more the feeling of just, oh, I'm late to the party. What can I do to help? Right. But Carcat has a much more typical arc and kind of characterization. Like you can map Carcat onto a lot of other characters who came before him. You can map him onto Sasuke. You can map him onto Bakugo. Like, I mean, he's a Lancer, right? He's the second in command who wants super badly to be in charge, but then other more protagonisty types come in, show him how it's done, and then he realizes that he's better off in a supporting role. He's a Lancer. I don't know. I, it's really interesting to me that Karkat is so... And this is not an insult. I fucking love Karkat, but he's not as weird in his character arc as some of other Homestuck characters are. I mean, there's a reason he's really relatable. Mm -hmm. It's because we, we kind of experienced him before. He's yeah. Good. It's it just because he's he's not necessarily <clears throat> an, a completely original mm -hmm. character arc doesn't mean he isn't good. Yeah, and that's that's kind of one of the reasons I love him is because I I like that about him that like he embodies the kind of stories I usually like. I like like I'm more than happy to have stories with those kinds of characters in them. I don't really get tired of them. I like Sasuke. I think he's a little too edgy. But I mean he was the first iteration of the type. He, you know, he was the experiment. But like I don't know. I think car cats are also kind of everywhere in the same way Vriskas are, just in a different way. Because Carcat came from them. Vriska retroactively created them. Yeah. 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 So do we... we so we, I guess we're we don't diagnose we'd... anybody with Vriska. Yeah, we're just not... I mean, Sometimes there isn't a Vriska. Yeah. Like... A lot of the time there isn't a Vriska. She's not actually a common phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's... I mean, that's one of the reasons people are so attached to her, right? Is... I've heard this a lot from folks who are, like, super invested in Vriska is, like, we haven't seen characters like her in media before. She's very complex in a way that a lot of women in media aren't. Like, like again, Casey Brush Bandits, mm -hmm. uh, if you scroll way down on our Twitter time, yeah. we're at Will at Homestuck. We retweeted that. Uh, her critical Vriska theory. Yeah, it's a Venn diagram with Vriska, um, Neo Azula. Genesis Evangelion character. Uh, Ray, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's Azula Vriska, Ray. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like... And I would also like to throw Jessica Jones onto that pile. Oh, Jessica Jones is not Vriska. Really? I, no. No. Who? Well, whenever we do an episode on Jessica Jones, we um, should do that. Alright, I guess I guess not then. But yeah, the, those four, they're not... They're, they're pretty... They're all pretty damn close to Vriska, and one of them <laughs> is like, like, again, the mommy issues, the show-stopping... The eye things... Yeah. Because, like, Ray, Vriska, and Katra all deal with, like, and some kind of... power damage in the face. In the eye, eye, specifically. Yeah. Um, I don't... No, Azula doesn't, but Zuko does. Yeah, <laughs> she, she, like, cuts off her hair, and that's mm -hmm. the most that, like, really... Yeah. But yeah. I mean, like, oh, Zuko as the Vriska? Mm -hmm. Maybe when we do The Last Airbender, we'll talk about that. Zuko's a trans woman. I mean, both both Fire Lord kids have the have the energy. They are, they're Vriska splinters. They each contain piece of Vriska, and if they fused, they would just be. It'd just be her. Yeah, because I don't, I don't quite buy that <clears throat> Azula would have trans woman energy, but Zuko does. So oh, Azula has like when I think of people in my life like Azula. 
the only one I can think of was a cis woman who yeah. I lived with for about a year in Utah. They were like, I mean, I, the women who bullied me in middle, in elementary school and middle school who were cis women were Azula. Like, it's, yeah. I, I don't disagree that, that like, there are trans women out there who are like that. It's just when I think of that archetype, I'm like, you have always been a mean, rich bitch. Mm -hmm. And that's never been a thing that you want. Yeah, phenomenal cis energy from Azula. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. We've gone through all our shit. Is that it? you have any extra notes before we leave off this episode? Not really. Like, we got we got everything, I think. All right. It, the whole thing looked like it could have, like, not, not looked like it could have been a Homestuck flashback. Mm -hmm. It was extremely reductive. But, um... I mean, it, it if not the same kind of AMV tone, it definitely was impactful and flashy and impressive. And, like, there was... And stylized in mm -hmm. a, and, like... It was, it felt bombastic and... Bombastic is a perfect word, yes. It, Sorry, that's just... <laughs> you got the word, you did it. You got the one. It handled its tone very well. Mm -hmm. like it had very high stakes and very high running emotions. It was very goofy. It made yeah. it do that. And that's why superhero movies need to be animated. They need to be animated and for kids. <laughs> superhero I mean, superhero movies... Okay. Fuck. Yeah, let kids say fuck. Like, I don't see the problem. But, like, the... Okay, fucking superhero movies for adults are either fashy or boring. Or, in the case of a lot of MCU movies, a horrible combination of both. And that's yeah. all I have left to say for this episode. Spider-Verse is really good. It's on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> I've been animated at 12 frames a second because I'm not quite good at this whole thing yet. And I'm tired. <laughs> See you guys next week, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, follow us at Will at Homestuck on Twitter. If you want to throw us some money, check out our Patreon or Ko-fi, both of which are at Will at Homestuck. Join us again next episode when we build a suburb session out of the cast of Into the Spider-Verse.